boys and girls, and welcome to episode number 26 of Popper's Cage. My name is Jason Moore, and I'm going to be your host. Now, today's episode is going to be different from most of our episodes for a couple of reasons. The primary reason is that I'm going to be your only host for this episode. We've had some issues with scheduling, so Special Kyle unfortunately couldn't make it for this recording, but we want to keep putting out episodes at a semi-regular pace, at a semi-regular rate. So we are going to go ahead and do this episode. It's probably going to end up being a little bit shorter, and it's also going to end up maybe being worse in quality, depending on your opinions of my uh, intelligence level, my speaking ability, and whatnot. But I hope you guys will stay tuned in and enjoy this regardless. We're trying something else that's a little bit new for this episode. We're going to start this series, which may or may not continue, called Popper Public Enemies. And this is where we're going to put a sort of spotlight on one of the more popular decks in the format, some of the decks that are putting out the best results in the Popper Daily events on MTGO. So this is somewhat similar to what we used to do with our deck techs, but it's slightly different because we want to put a focus on those public enemies, those decks that are going to be on most people's radars, and we're going to talk about why they're successful. Today we're going to tackle one of the biggest public enemies. This is arguably public enemy number one right now, and it's held a very strong position in the Popper metagame since the banning of Treasure Cruise, and it's Mono Black Control. Now, before we get started with our topic, I want to thank all of you guys for listening to the show, supporting us on Twitter by retweeting our announcements and whatnot. And don't forget to check us out on our Facebook page and just generally let us know what you think of how the show's going. Are there any topics or ideas or different tactics that you want us to employ as the show progresses? We definitely would love to hear that. Now, like I said, this might be a bit of a shorter episode. We'll see how quickly we go through things, but I'm just going to give this a shot. I'm doing this solo for the first time ever, so I'm going to try and keep it interesting, try and keep it somewhat exciting, and uh, let's go ahead and just get right into it. So Mono Black Control has been around for as long as I've played in Popper. Like most control decks, it does have a very easily defined game plan and it has a set of different components that help us help it progress that game plan. So we're going to provide you with some links about control decks and about mono black control specifically, but to break it down, a control deck is interested in prolonging the game to a point where it can eventually take over with an end game that is superior to its opponent. So it's going to assume an arguably more defensive role during the early and mid-game, and it's going to disrupt the opponent's game plan long enough for it to have amassed a set of superior resources that will eventually lead to it somehow winning the game. Paulo Vitor Damo de Rosa said something pretty eloquent, which I'm about to butcher with my paraphrasing, but... Winning the game is something that just coincidentally, or I should say consequently, happens as a process of a control deck prolonging the game. It doesn't have that one specific 
plan of attack, like an aggro deck might have a swarm strategy that it needs to win with, or a burn deck needs to have a certain number of burn spells that it needs to win with. A control deck is just going to win because it's managed to outlast the opponent. How it does that is not always so relevant. Sometimes it can win with man lands, if we're talking about formats that aren't popper, or planeswalkers. Sometimes it can mill the opponent out with a card like Nephalia Drownyard. Or sometimes sometimes it could play a haymaker like a Titan, or I guess in this case, in these this day and age, a dragon, and uh, win that way. But the decks are never... I guess the archetype as a whole is never really defined by its win condition. Um, I guess that control decks are more so defined by their controlling elements, their defensive and card advantage-based resources. So what kind of things make a control deck a control deck? Looking at mono-black control, and pretty much all control decks that have lasted for a long time, we're going to have things like card advantage. In a deck like mono-black control, this comes in a variety of different ways. Certain forms of removal can provide card advantage. A card like Sign in Blood, which is an obvious two-for-one, draws two cards at the cost of one card. Creatures can provide card advantage in mono-black because they add value immediately when they hit the table. And that's pretty much going to be most of what the card advantage comes from. But the idea is that control decks want to incorporate two-for-ones, three-for-ones or more in order to amass those superior resources. They want to have more cards in hand by the time the late game rolls around so that whatever the opponent does is basically invalidated. Now, we mentioned removal just then, but that is a big part of control deck strategies. They need to be able to take permanence off of the board. They need to stop the bleeding when other decks are attacking their life total. So they need creature removal, and sometimes they need to be able to remove other permanents as well. As you probably can see with a lot of mono-black decks, they have some of the best removal available, and it's very easy for them to kill most types of creatures. Not only do they have point removal, which is a one-for-one way of killing a single creature, they have two-for-one removal, they have board sweepers, and they also have edict effects. So creatures that can't be targeted or are too big for certain types of removal spells can die to an edict effect that targets the opponent instead of targeting the creature. Now, control decks can also have creatures. Some control decks have permission, but Mono Black doesn't really rely on permission. Mono Black control wants to disrupt the opponent's game plan, sometimes by attacking their hand, sometimes by attacking the, the creatures on the board, and then play some more disruptive creatures like Chittering Rats, play value creatures, not only Chittering Rats, but Phyrexian Rager, and... The big picture for Mono Black Control is that it's amassing a devotion count for Grey Merchant of Asphodel. So when a Grey Merchant hits and another one hits, these are like siege rhinos that cost a little much, uh, cost a little bit more, have slightly worse body, but can have a much bigger effect. Enters the battlefield trigger. When Grey Merchants hit the table, they can reset the game completely. If you're, they're playing against an aggressive deck that's attacking their life total, all that damage done, all of the resources invested in that attack plan can be completely nullified by just a single gray merchant or two. 
And those are the wind conditions. The creatures and the devotion count can allow mono black control to win with direct life loss as well as a few attacks. So the deck can turn things around quite quickly if you let it. So now that we know what the deck does and some of the components, again, we're talking in generalities here. I want to dial things back and talk about mono black control's place in the metagame. So until very recently, mono black control was the undisputed number one most winning deck. It's about neck and neck with Affinity at the time of this recording, which is May 24th. But for a number of weeks, perhaps a month or more, Mono Black Control was 18 to 19% of the winning field. And that's a really huge percentage. Before this was going on, Delver was the most popular deck and uh, is it fiend as well with the treasure cruise era happening and delver when it was at its biggest peak i would say was probably only around 15 percent of the field the metagame has returned to a, a state of normalcy right now where the biggest decks are only 10 to 11 or 12 percent but if you really think about it the difference between 18 and what we see nowadays which is again the biggest decks being about 10 that's a really big margin so mono black control was putting up some crazy numbers compared to what we've seen with metagame trends in the past and just to provide a little more perspective for those of you guys who've been around for about five years or so if you remember when Jund was a huge player in Standard, when Jund was the undisputed, undisputed deck to beat, we're talking about 2010, roughly. Pro Tour San Diego in 2010, Jund was claimed to be around 30% of the overall field. So that's a pretty clear sign of a deck that's number one, and is quote unquote the best deck in the format. So that's just to give you a little perspective. Mono Black Control is not quite at that level, and I don't think Popper really has a deck that's at that level. But it is really interesting to look at the fact not only that Mono Black was doing so well, but also to think about why. So when we want to think about things that bumped Mono Black Control to Tier 1 and to Deck Number 1, to Public Enemy Number 1, we want to think about the printing of Grey Merchant of Asphodel in Theros, which was in 2013. So Grey Merchant of Asphodel is one of the best creatures we've seen in Popper in a, quite a long time. I would argue that it's probably the best creature we've seen since either the Scars of Mirrodin or Zendikar era. Zendikar brought us Core Skyfisher and other very aggressively crossed, costed creatures. And Scars of Mirrodin brought us some things that have been incorporated into decks like Affinity. So creatures like Carapace Forger and Oriok Sun Chaser. But with Great Merchant of Asphodel, it just slides so perfectly into Mono Black because of what Mono Black has, was already doing. Mono Black was already a pretty creature-dense strategy, and Grey Merchant of Asphodel is just so high on power level that we even saw it see a lot of play in Standard when Mono Black Devotion was a popular deck. It costs 5 mana, but it does a lot for this deck. It can be a, 
a game finisher, it can be a stabilizer, and having a four toughness butt on the ground, though it does not survive a flame slash or a or turned on galvanic blast, it can stop a lot of creatures from attacking. So Grey Merchant of Asphodel was a huge deal. It made Mono Black Control jump up to being one of the most popular decks, pretty much neck and neck with Delver, until Treasure Cruise was printed in Cons of Tarkir last year. So that was a big hit for Mono Black Control, which brings us to the next thing that bumped Mono Black Control up to Tier 1, was the banning of Treasure Cruise. We saw Nivix Cyclops decks which had Delver of Secrets. We had Mono Blue Delver. We had Blue Red Delver. We had Blue Black Delver. All of these capitalizing on Treasure Cruise. We had Tron decks playing Treasure Cruise. We had Affinity decks playing Treasure Cruise. All of these decks capable of fighting an attrition game with Mono Black, throwing creatures into removal spells, getting their hand disrupted, and then just casting multiple copies of Treasure Cruise to recoup all of that lost momentum. Drawing three cards, drawing three more cards can be enough to win a game in Popper. Especially these grindy games that we see when you go up against Mono Black. One of the well, okay, we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit more about how the games play out against Mono Black. But I do want to reiterate that the banning of Treasure Cruise was predicted by most people as a, an event or a an occurrence in the Popper format that allows Mono Black to again get up to that top spot and be public enemy number one. Now, I find it personally very interesting and dynamic that Mono Black Control is one of the top decks in the format because Mono Black Control is a fair deck in the format. Popper has a number of fair decks and unfair decks, and it can sometimes be considered a pretty degenerate format. But Mono Black Control is showing that a fair deck can and will win quite a lot in uh, various popper events. So what do I mean overall by a fair deck or an unfair deck? What is a fair game of magic versus an unfair one? Now I've written a little bit about this topic in the past and it all comes down to the design of the game. What makes the game of magic interesting and dynamic? How both players interact with each other, and the general rules of the game. So when you think about a fair game and a fair deck, you want to picture in your mind what the game was really intended to do, how things were supposed to play out. So you're going to think about two players interacting with each other at a reasonable rate, doing things like engaging in creature combat, and interacting with each other on the stack, playing removal spells or disruption spells, and having a back and forth. Whenever you're playing against someone and they have a reasonable chance at winning the game and playing their game, you're probably playing a fair deck. A fair deck is never going to have a certain draw or a certain start that prevents the opponent from having a chance. It's not going to be able to combo kill on the third turn. It's not going to be able to cheat on mana and play out multiple 4-4 creatures for zero mana or play a two-card combination 
that ends the game. It's not going to be able to lock the opponent out quickly and do whatever it wants to do. It's going to be somewhat slower, or I guess reasonably paced, and it's going to have interactive elements as opposed to non-interactive elements like, let's say, um, a hexproof deck that doesn't really care what the opponent's trying to do as long as they don't have the the required edict or wrath effect to stop the hexproof player. Things like that. So there's a lot of decks that can be unfair in the format. Things like Affinity, Hexproof, even Delver can by utilizing free spells and by playing aggressively costed creatures like Delver of Secrets. Um, you know, free counter spells like Daze, free creature threats like Cloud of Fairies, free draw spells like Gush, another free threat in Spire Golem. These type of things can lead to these broken starts that run opponents over and get you free wins. Free wins are another uh, component of unfair decks. And Mono Black Control has none of that stuff. So Mono Black Control is going to play things that are decently costed, and it can do things that are pretty good because the gain value gets you a two-for-one, but it's not inherently broken, which is a, a relative term, but I hope you guys understand what I'm saying. So, you know, Mono Black Control, it's going to play Creatures, Removal, and Card Draw, like I said already, which is a pretty conventional game, a pretty conventional approach to playing the game that you guys are all familiar with no matter what format you come from. And the thing to take away from this is that Mono Black Control demonstrates that fair decks clearly have a place in Popper. So when you think of other fair decks, and it is somewhat relative of a term, there are there is a gray area here, but creature-based decks, like the Mono White Tokens deck, or Goblins, Mono Green Stompy, which I think actually borders on unfair, and you can say there are some unfair things about Stompy, but um, strategies like that, very linear strategies that you would see in multiple formats, not just eternal formats. They have a place in the in the metagame. Not saying that all of them do, not saying any fair deck does, but the fact that a deck is fair is not immediately a disqualification or it does not immediately invalidate that deck as a viable strategy. So that I think that's an important takeaway. So now we're gonna dive into why does mono black control put up such good re- good results? The first reason is that Mono Black Control has a mana-based advantage over a number of its opponents. Now, I want to start with the mana base because I think that's pretty important in any deck. And it's something that sometimes gets abused or just doesn't give the proper respect that I think it deserves in some of these pauper decks. A lot of people cheat on lands and they don't build their mana bases quite correctly. Um, And with Mono Black Control, it's very hard to mess up the mana base. And you guys all know why. Because it's mono black control. It's a monocolored deck. And that means its mana is going to be damn near perfect every single game. It's going to be able to cast its spells and do something every single turn of the game. While its opponents can get mana screwed. They can get color screwed. They can take that one or two extra turns longer to try and develop their mana perfectly before they can get their spells off. And even worse, when a multicolored deck is playing uh, a spell that, say, has green-white in its cost, like Armadillo Cloak, 
that will take up that player's entire turn most of the time. And they might, let's say they have two armadillo cloaks. They've pretty much decided what their two turns are going to be because of the mana cost in those cards. That means that a monocolor deck can occasionally play two spells per one spell that its opponent is playing. Not to mention the, the previously mentioned color screw that can, that can happen. And mono black can really punish decks that are struggling with their mana because it plays disruption in the form of chittering rats and other discard effects that can punish the opponent, put them back even further, and it, it takes them from being at a slight disadvantage to flat out losing the game at that point because they just can't come back. It, it compounds the disadvantage that the opponent is experiencing. So right from the mana base, Mono Black Control has an advantage over a number of its opponents. Mono Black Control also goes slightly bigger than a number of decks in the field. And when we say goes bigger, it usually means that it's a deck that's going to be a turn or two slower in making its big plays against an opponent. Let's say that you're a Goblins deck and some of your fundamental turns are basically the first three turns of the game where you want to play a creature that can attack for two or more and then the next two tur- in turn two you want to play two more of those types of creatures and turn three you might play uh, your Goblin Bushwhacker or a guy and a Bushwhacker and really just try and steamroll the opponent. Now, Mono Black Control is not going to be... It definitely doesn't have a fundamental turn of one because it doesn't have a lot of things to do on turn one. Um, Turn three is a pretty fundamental turn for Mono Black because that's when it's going to start laying down its value creature threats, Chittering Rats, Phyrexian Rager, etc. And then, obviously, turn five is a big fundamental turn for Mono Black Control, laying down that Gray Merchant. And a lot of other decks don't have turn 3 and turn 5 as their fundamental turn. They're usually going to be slightly faster than that. So when you go slightly slower and slightly bigger, you play you, you end up playing trumps against your opponent. So Grey Merchant of Asphodel is a great trump that, though it is a turn slower, it can invalidate the previous turn that the opponent did and sometimes can invalidate their entire plan. Think of Grey Merchant landing and gaining six life against a goblins player that's a big deal not only just the six life and the six life loss that the goblin player takes but having the two power four toughness body in addition to whatever permanents are on the battlefield so like i mentioned it plays three and five drop creatures and the creatures themselves are also slightly bigger when you think of kumbai witches which is a one three that can be slightly bigger than a 2-2 creature, or it can block things on the ground while pinging away at 1-1 flyers in a tokens deck or something. In order to be slightly bigger and to survive longer than other decks need to, Mono Black Control will play 1-3 to three mana removal spells. So in the 1 mana slot, you can have a, a spell like Disfigure. At 2 mana, you can have pretty much anything you want, but you'll usually see Edict Effects and Victim of Night, things like that. Three mana removal, of course, is Oubliette, which is an enchantment that adds to their devotion. And then they have spells that can cost four to six mana between Tendrils of Corruption, Pestilence, all the way on up to Corrupt. All of these things can act like Creature Removal. The Flashback on Chainer's Edict costs seven mana. So having these removal spells at different slots in the curve 
is just part of those building blocks to help Mono Black get to that end game where the Grey Merchants really shut things down. Another reason that MVC, which is short for Mono Black Control, is able to beat other decks is because it can assert its game plan and end up getting both players into what's called a top deck war. So Mono Black Control wants to trade these resources, punch for punch. The opponent plays a threat, Mono Black Control plays a removal spell. The opponent plays another threat, Mono Black Control plays a creature that's going to trade with that, that threat, and the creature already got some value just by hitting the table and using its enter the battlefield trigger. So both players are expending these resources punch for punch, basically breaking even. Mono Black Control is really good at getting opponents into a top deck war, which means their hand is completely expended and they're living off the top of their deck. They're just drawing whatever's on the top and playing from there. And again, MBC does this with its spot removal and also with its ability to attack the hand with cards like Duress, Chittering Rats, Liliana Spectre. So once they get into the top deck war, Mono Black Control tends to win that war. It wants, to, it wants to get into that situation because it has better top decks than a lot of the opponents. If Mono Black Control top decks a Chainer's Edict, that's going to make up for the, the opponent's next two creatures. Mono Black Control can top deck Sign in Blood and draw two fresh cards off of that. It can top deck Phyrexian Rager, get a body, and draw a card off of that. It can, it can top deck Grey Merchant, and it can top deck Corrupt at the very top of things, which swings the game completely because that's an exponential... Corrupt gets exponentially better the longer the game goes. With each swamp that hits the table... That's just that much more life that MBC is going to gain, that much more life the opponent's going to lose, and it puts the game so far out of reach by that time. So think of um, all these early game threats that a lot of decks have, like uh, a Foundry Street Denizen, let's say, in Goblins. I know I keep going back to Goblins, I'm not sure why, but um, on turn one, that card is deadly, but on turn five, that card is terrible. It's, it's, there's a wide range of, uh, there's a high ceiling and a low floor for that card, and it doesn't do anything in a top deck war. So another thing that makes Mono Black Control so potent is the fact that it can answer multiple questions in the format. And this allows for Mono Black to typically have a pretty dynamic sideboard for uh, a monocolored deck. And it allows it, obviously, to get a leg up on a lot of the opposing strategies, which is why it's one of the top public enemies currently in Popper. So we can pretty much tell that Mono Black can answer creatures. But it can answer all kinds of creatures, big or small, targetable, untargetable, um, flying or not. It just has so many ways to deal with creatures. And efficiently... For small creatures, there's so many opportunities for two-for-ones with Kumbai Witches, Chainer's Edict, Echoing Decay, Crypt Rats. There's, I could go on and on and on. Shrivel. There's so many different ways for Mono Black to ping away at small creatures and get value. Bigger creatures can be hit with things like Victim of Night and all the Edict effects you want. Untargetable creatures can get hit with Crypt Rats and all the Edicts you want. And then, these giant swarm board states can get hit with Sweepers. 
Mono Black has access to a lot of sweepers, like Crypt Rats, which is the best sweeper in the format, Pestilence, and Evancar's Justice. All of those cards are viable options if you're looking to sweep creatures away. And that's saying a lot in a format with only commons. We don't have access to things like Pyroclasm, Fire Spout, Day of Judgment, Supreme Verdict, Damnation. They, they just don't exist in our format. So, to just recap everything we've talked about so far, MBC for a long, for quite a long time was about 18 to 19 percent of the field, which is pretty unheard of. It's very rare to see in this format. The printing of Grey Merchant of Asphodel and the banning of Treasure Cruise made this possible. MBC is a fair deck, which demonstrates that other fair decks clearly do have a place in this format. And NBC has gotten to the point where it's at because it not only has a mana base advantage, it also goes slightly bigger than most of its opponents, it gets into a top deck war and wins, and it can answer multiple questions posed to it in a given game of Magic. So now that we've summarized that, I do want to take a short break, and when we come back, I'm going to do a daily event deck list spotlight and a very short game of Sneep Keeper Ditch. So like I said, this is going to be a shorter episode. I hope you guys have been enjoying this so far, and I hope you'll stay tuned and check back with us after the break. Alright guys, we are back with the second half of Popper's Cage, and I know I said that we were going to do Sneep Keeper Ditch, but I actually have decided we're not going to do it for today's episode. It's just not going to be the same without Special Kyle around to give you those uh, differing opinions and differing perspectives. But we are going to be doing a segment that we call the Popper Daily Event Deckless Spotlight. And we're going to be talking about Mono Black Control, because that's what we've been talking about all episode. This deck list is featured in the show notes, so if you want to follow along, you certainly can. It's by a guy named Stan Zero. And this Popper Daily Event deck list showed up as a 4-0 deck list on May 21st in a Popper Daily Event. So, just looking at the mana base first, he's playing 24 lands. And a lot of mono black decks play 23. He's opted to go up to 24 because he is playing a copy of Corrupt. When it comes to mono black, sometimes it might seem like it's playing less de- less lands than it should be. But you have to factor in the fact that it's also playing draw spells such as Sign and Blood, Phyrexian Rager, and Baron Moor, which can cycle, as can Unearth. So, all of these cards allow you to see more of your deck and help you get up to 5 or 6 mana for your Grey Merchants, your Corrupts, and even up to 7 mana for your Chainer's Edict. Not only is Mono Black able to get to those land drops, it also is able to reward itself for being flooded. So, with Corrupt, like I said, Corrupt just gets better and better the more mana you have. And then you're able to get to those Chainer's Edicts and flash them back. 
You can also do multiple plays in a single turn, like casting Sign in Blood and then playing a couple of threats off of that, etc., etc. So the land base here is 21 Swamp and 3 Barren Moor. You'll notice that a lot of these mono black decks go really, really light on their come-into-play tapped lands because they want to be able to play their spells on curve. Remember, they're slightly bigger, slightly slower, so if they're not able to cast their spells, they're going to fall too far behind. Now looking at the creatures, we have 4 Chittering Rats, 4 Kumbaya Witches, Four Great Merchant of Asphodel, four Phyrexian Rager. So, so far, all of those things are pretty common across the board with most, most mono black decks. And then two copies of Gurmog Angler, which has come about in Cons of Tarkir block. It's, it's a delve creature. It's pretty much the best delve creature in Popper, and it does a lot for this deck. Being a 5 5, it dodges removal spells like Flame Slash and Galvanic Blast. And it also outclasses the creatures in affinity, such as Mirror Enforcer, Frogmite, and Carapace Forger. So it can be a really big problem, especially when this deck is already removing the opposing creatures, disrupting the opponent's hand. As far as removal goes, we have a number of different removal spells. We have six Edict Effects, three Chainer's Edict, and three Geth's Verdict. Now, I can't speak to this split necessarily, but I can say that three Chainer's Edict has always felt like the best number in Mono Black Control, in my opinion. I think four is slightly too many, and uh, three is just enough because um, you're able to flash it back. So it doesn't gum up your hand too much. And it gets value for you later, which can be a big help in this deck. We also have two copies of Disfigure, which I really like because I like the fact that this deck has a one-mana answer to Delver of Secrets, which is one of the biggest turn one threats in the format. There's also two copies of Victim of Night, which can be great. Uh, there are some things it does not kill, such as Grey Mer- Merchant of Asphodel and Gurmog Angler. So it's actually a pretty inefficient removal spell in the Mirror Match. There's two copies of Oubliette, which is quite good at establishing the devotion. I'm not sure if it's necessary in all of the mono black decks, but if you think of it as an exile spell that eventually is going to gain you two life and remove, uh, or sorry, drain the opponent, make them lose two life, it seems pretty good. And that only compounds the more gray merchants and Oubliettes you have on the table. The last removal spell is Corrupt, which also doubles as a win condition because it can go to the opponent's face. The only other spell in the deck is a single copy of Unearth. And in the mono black decks that I've played, I like more copies of Unearth, but I understand that this player is is using Corrupt and Extra Land to get their game plan across. So he probably doesn't find more copies of Unearth to be necessary, but it's pretty great at getting you a one-mana Chittering Rats, for instance, or just cycling to draw a card when you need to do that. So I'm really a fan of this main deck. I like that it's not too glutted at the three-mana slot, which is really easy to do in Mono Black. There's a lot of three-mana creatures you could be playing. Don't forget cards like Liliana Spectre, which are an option. And there's other three-mana removal spells you could be playing, like Unmake, and so, and there's also Read the Bones and stuff like that. 
So there's there's a lot of ways to get really flooded in that three drop slot, and that can lead to some awkward games because on turn three you're playing a three drop. On turn four you're playing a three drop. And then depending on how your lands play out, if you don't have an untapped land, on turn five you might also just be playing a three drop. So it really kind of stunts your development instead of being able to play a couple two drops on turn four or whatever, uh, you can end up kind of being a little too slow. And let's not even think about times when you don't hit that third land. Then you're just completely screwed. So I like that about the deck. I do like the split of removal. Like I said, the three chainers edict. One copy of corrupt I think is the absolute correct number. You don't want two copies of this early game. That's basically a double mulligan. Um, And having the one copy is great because it's really splashy effect. It can be game swinging. Uh, But otherwise, until you get up to that mana... There's nothing you can do. It's a dead card. I don't really have anything else to say about the main deck, I don't think. Two copies of Gurmog Angler. I'm not sure if that's correct. It seems okay. I wouldn't do more than that. So I think it's really just a question of one or two. Now, let's go ahead and look at the sideboard here. He's got four copies of Duress, which I think is a great card in Mono Black Control. It really clears the way for Grey Merchant of Asphodel to resolve against Counterspell decks. And it can be used for various other things, but it's just a nice, clean, one-mana disruptive element, which can be very surprisingly effective against opponents trying to hold back. Uh, some of the decks that go slightly bigger than Mono Black and are just trying to counter stuff, this can be a, a good way to kind of cut through that with a little knife. It's a, it's a little scalpel, if you will. Three copies of Choking Sands. I've put Choking Sands in most of my Mono Black sideboards. Um, this is a card that can target the Tron lands in Tron decks. It can target the Karoo lands in Familiars. And also, I think there is possibly some merit, depending on what your 75 is, in bringing this against a deck like Hexproof. Sometimes those decks are very low on lands, and they put a bunch of auras onto a single land. So when you can hit that with Choking Sands, you not only screw them on colors and mana, because they have uh, they have things like Utopia Sprawl, I think it's called, which lets them ramp up mana, but you can also cut down their enchantment count. That's a big deal against Ethereal Armor and Aura Gnarled. You basically are just shrinking their guys, you know, Ancestral Mask. So it's also kind of like a minus X, minus X spell against their creatures. So the only reason I would board this in, though, in those matchups, is if you have enough dead cards in your main deck. So for instance, Disfigure, Victim of Night, Oubliette, those are cards that you can all cut against Hexproof if you want. Now, you can leave in some of those to fight Orinarlid, but you wouldn't leave in all of them. Depending on a certain build, you might have other cards you want to bring out, so Choking Sands could be good there. I don't think that it's the case in this deck, though. There's three co- or yeah, there's three copies of Shrivel, which I think is a pretty good one. Shrivel can hit tokens. It can hit uh, all of the pro-black creatures that are ever played tend to be one toughness. So that's a good thing there. And then it can also come in against Hexproof guys. Two additional Victim of Night and a third Disfigure and a Tendrils. So there's a number of different spot removal spells, which I'm not sure what they're for. I would imagine Victim of Night is for Affinity because they have some big-ass creatures that you really got to deal with. The extra Disfigure, I'm not sure what 
specifically he wants it for, but obviously against the small, fast creature decks, that could be a good thing. And so could Tendrils of Corruption. Again, just like Grey Merchant, this is a way to not only affect the board, but also gain life and kind of invalidate the, the turns prior that have attacked your life total. And then there's a second copy of Corrupt. So I think that will only come in against long, drawn-out games, perhaps the Mirror Match and things like that. So overall, I think this is a pretty sweet list. There are a couple things I would question, but overall, not that many. I would question the, the removal suite in the sideboard. I'm not sure about those numbers and what they're doing there. And then also, I'm, I don't know about a second Gurmog Angler and just one Unearth. I would say this is a pretty good start if you're looking for a deck list just to throw together and to start playing events and try out Mono Black. I think you could probably bet on this one doing you pretty well. So that's going to wrap up the daily event deck list spotlight. And since we're doing just me as the host, we're also going to wrap up this episode. It's going to end quite a bit early, earlier than usual, but maybe some of you guys will like that. So if you think that this is a good running time for the show, please let us know. I want to thank all of you guys for listening to episode 26 here at Popper's Cage, and I'm just going to let you guys know how you can contact the show, how you can follow us and support us in other endeavors. So you can follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at DimeCollectorSC. You can also check me out on Daily Motion where I put all my videos for my Black Border articles, and those you can check out at blackborder.com. The series, the column, is called Common Ground. On MTGO Academy, I also put out videos of Popper, and that series is called Dime a Dozen. For those of you that are familiar with the series, that will make a little more sense why I did that. And what else? You can check out our Facebook page, facebook.com slash podcast. I believe it is. And if not, uh, you can check the show, no- show notes for the correct URL, but I think that's right. You can check out our blog at popperscage.blogspot.ca. And if you want to get in touch with Special Kyle, he is at cries for help. So cries, C-I-L-E-S, C-R-I-E-S, the number four, Help, H-E-L-P, and that's at Twitter where you can check him out and get in contact with him. So guys, give us any feedback you can, but otherwise, thank you very much for listening. Oh my God!